coming. Um, before I introduce our speakers who you will know, um, I just want to remind everyone that next week we have um, our speaker will be here. Um, Stashi is her last name, and she'll be uh, speaking about indigenous rights and science. Um, so today we are going to have a little bit of a different type of colloquium, and we're going to discuss the executive order on advancing biotechnology and biomanufacturing um, that recently came out and how it might relate to the GDS. Uh, but that's all I'll say about that. Uh, two um, facilitators for today are uh, Nick Lotion and Jabin Ahmad, and they are both Ag Biofuse students. Jabin was in the second cohort, and Nick is in the third cohort. And I will let him take over. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I'll try to keep this brief so that we can just kind of power through. Uh, the discussion has been the majority of our time talking about this executive order. So the title of the executive order is quite long. It is Advancing Biotechnology and Biomanufacturing Innovation for a Sustainable, Safe, and Secure American Bioeconomy. So very long. Um, but I just wanted to start and kind of give you guys like a brief like overview of kind of a biotechnology like oversight timeline, except this does not encapsulate like nearly all the things that are occurring, just kind of some of the major dates and how they kind of relate to executive orders. So I think we're all pretty familiar knowing that the Biotechnology Coordinated Framework was established in 1986, but it's gone through quite a few revisions and a lot of those have come from executive like offices of the president, like actually manipulating and trying to give clarity to that process and uh, implement, you know, new regulations, but also just kind of explain how the heck are we regulating biotechnology. So the, core, uh, the framework was first updated in 1992 after, you know, some input from a lot of different areas. And then uh, during, I guess, President Obama's administration, they did an EOP uh, memorandum to, again, take a look at that uh, coordinated framework. And they're like, what other updates can we make to look at the clarity and to make this a little bit more clear? And, you know, I think if you've ever read Dr. Kuzma's paper, it talks about like how it ebbs and flows of loose and tight restrictions. So it's just constantly changing. And so then we had the 2017 updated coordinated framework on biotechnology. And that is actually like the most recent uh, framework that we're still utilizing today. So that's what encompasses and kind of explains what the EPA does, the USDA does, and the FDA does when it comes in terms of uh, biotechnology. Uh, and then during the Trump administration, we have the executive order 13784. And that came out, I think, in June of 2019. And I think Sabine will talk a little bit more in detail about what that kind of encompassed. But again, that was about like making it more science forward, I believe, and then trying to loosen a little bit of those restrictions as well. <laughs> and then something that like I just found out yesterday was looking into this executive order that we're talking about uh, today. I was like, that actually came due to, I guess, uh, CHIPS and Science Act that came out uh, over the summer, which was basically to push the United States uh, in innovation and kind of do that from ranging from semiconductors to biotechnology and the bioeconomy. And that's why when you guys were powering through this executive order, like there's quite a few aspects that are focused on uh, bioeconomy. And then bolded, we have what's extremely recent would be the current executive order that we're going to talk about uh, today. And so I know that you guys all read it, I hope. Uh, that would make everything a lot easier, but this is kind of just a quick oversight of all the sections that are covered. So, I mean, that ranges from 
policy to biotechnology and the biomanufacturing workforce. Uh, and then I'm going to go in a little bit into detail on some things that I found kind of interesting and things that I thought were kind of relevant to, to my cohort uh, on our project that's kind of focused on governance. And that was really focused in section one policy and uh, section two in coordination. And also, I think here in section eight and section nine, where we're kind of looking at, again, this clarity and efficiency uh, and reducing risk by advancing biosafety and biosecurity is that's something that I studied directly uh, for my PhD. But that's things that I kind of found interesting. And I think this is extremely relevant. I was like, especially for, for those in cohort three, I was like, we just had a couple lectures that were talking about what does this governance process look like and how is it changing? And well, it might be changing like immediately as, as we're working. But I try to just highlight a couple things that I found interesting. Uh, section one, the policy section, talks about clarifying and streamlining regulations. I was like, that's a big one. That's something that we've seen constantly. I was like, I don't want you guys to think that this is like new language or anything. This has been pretty much in all of the executive orders and all the changes to the coordinated framework. Uh, and I mean, you can hold your opinions on how you feel about like that clarity and that streamline, but that's something that all of these uh, offices are trying to push for. It's just a question of like, what uh, will that actually look like? <laughs> And then I'm really interested in what they mean by like establishing metrics and like how they're actually going to look at what is the success of a bioeconomy? Like, what does that look like? I was like, maybe establishing these metrics would be some way that we can actually do like a nice comparison to look at the different um, administrations and the different changes. And then something that I think talking to some of the GS faculty of things that were kind of highlighted in this order uh, that I didn't catch up on at first was in the beginning, in this policy section, they talk, they reference another executive order focused on like ethics and environmental justice and equitability. And they put that again throughout uh, this executive order. So it's, I believe, the first time that this has been kind of a focus as well when you're talking about biotechnology and the bioeconomy. And then, you know, the reason that we're here talking today and that we're having this discussion section goes into that coordination. Uh, there's a range of different things that like we can do and try to get involved uh, about trying to have an input on streamlining these regulations and kind of having an understanding of what the heck is going on. So one of their big goals is to consult outside stakeholders and that includes people in academia. And I mean, I think that's kind of the purpose of, of the discussion today is what does the role that GES wants to play? And like, what do we think about the executive order? What are our thoughts? But what are some actionable steps that we can do, especially early on in this process as we're, we're talking about it extremely early as it just happened like a month ago. Um, so to go into a little bit more detail with that, I was like, we had uh, section eight, which again, they're harping on regulation, clarity, and efficiency. And they talk about doing this within 180 days of this date. So I was like, we're, we're tackling this like relatively early. I was like, I don't know what it'll look like. Um, but again, this hasn't been touched since January of 2017 with that last updated uh, uh, coordinated framework. So I know that they're gonna come together and kind of decide what their different organizations like what actually do they want to change? Do they see problems? So like maybe it's the role of GES to identify like things that need clarity and we can step in during those 180 days. Uh, they're going to do guidance documents and different things like that. That would be tremendous. I was like, as someone that's been trying to dig into this uh, information and trying to figure out how the heck are we regulating biotechnology uh, in the United States, it's pretty siloed and it's pretty difficult to actually to piece that together. Uh, the coordinated framework explains kind of what all the different agencies do, but like when you're looking at risk and you're looking at safety, they're kind of each working independently. Uh, and it would be really great to see just some guidance documents that these biotechnology uh, 
companies and organizations can use and understand? And also, when can the public get involved in different things? And then they also talk about uh, updating the unified website for biotechnology. I don't know if you guys have ever looked at that, but it does already exist. Uh, it's, it's a little bit bare bones. I mean, it's relatively useful for um, these, these companies that are doing biotechnology to understand, like, are they regulated? What are the processes they need to go through? But it definitely, it definitely could use some work. Uh, so I think that's why that they called that out specifically. But I'd be pretty interested to know, like, if that's something that, you know, would be built upon. And I mean, even talking or thinking about, like, the paper, uh, I think that was focused on, you know, the secure rule. Some people have proposed this idea of a database and stuff of understanding the different technologies. All of that could, you know, come in part of how they decide uh, to update uh, the website uh, focused on uh, biotechnology. And then I will turn it over to Jabin to talk about her perspectives. Hi, so as Jennifer mentioned, my name is Jabin Ahmad. I am part of cohort two. Um, I'm actually gonna be focusing on a couple of different things. I didn't really know what to title this section, so I just called it Perspectives. But to start off, um, I am gonna go in through a little bit of background real briefly on the Chips and Science Act that Nick mentioned, um, largely because this was kind of a surprise to all of us that there was so much in this particular piece of legislation that focused on the bioeconomy and biotechnology. So I wanna highlight um, a lot of it has to do with semiconductors and a lot of computer technology related things, but there is a component on the bioeconomy and I've highlighted five key aspects that I think would be of interest to GES and for folks that will largely be attending these colloquiums. So the three key things that came out of this piece of legislation is a focus on the bioeconomy particularly ensuring that there's support, that there's streamlined regulation, and that there's more research funding available to invest and to do a lot of fundamental level research um, for biotechnology. There is also aspects in this piece of legislation that focus on increasing diversity and participation in STEM research. Um, specifically, minority-serving institutions were highlighted, a desire to make sure that you bring in more than just traditional STEM and including things like social, cultural, and economic perspectives as well. And then there's this new um, directorate at the NSF called the Technology Innovation and Partnerships Directorate, which is supposed to help coordinate all of these different aspects, as well as be a leading source to help push forward some of the research agenda items and some of the funding. Um, so I thought this was really interesting because there's really an effort here with this piece of legislation of expanding STEM research, expanding into biotechnology and the bioeconomy, and ensuring that you have that equity and diverse voices. Um, I'm going to highlight two key sections within this. So Title III um, particularly looks at the National Science Foundation and charges it with some additional tasks. Um, and the one that I wanted to highlight was this area of fundamental research, which was focused on climate change. And that's of interest to cohort two. Um, our project for our Ag Biofuse um, cohort is to look at, in particular, uh, bioengineered crops for carbon capture and sequestration, which relates to climate change. But there's also um, tasks here for social behavior and economic sciences, food, energy, water, which is of interest to anyone in the bio Ag Biofuse program and risk and resilience. Title four here is the other part of this legislation. And this is like an over 400 piece legislation. So you really got to scroll down all the way into like 
page 300 before you get to the bioeconomy stuff. Um, but here there is the National Engineering Biology Research and Developmental Initiative. And it focuses on expanding the STEM workforce, as I mentioned, technological innovations in engineering biology, including both from the regulatory side, but also just improving and getting more and more collaborations, partnerships between universities, really expanding on collaborating to move forward and innovate in this area. And then also wanting to add in this aspect of like public understanding of benefits and risks. So there's a component in the legislation that does focus on how can we communicate this? How can we have better engagement? And all of that is very relevant to the work that GES does. Um, I briefly also wanted to mention the executive order that was passed back in 2000, or that was in place back in 2019. So Nick touched on this. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up here is that the executive order that we're working on today does reference this. So if you didn't have a chance to look at it or weren't familiar, I did want to touch on this real briefly. And so that one really focused on trying to take the regulatory process and make it proportional. So basing decisions on science and technical evidence, and then also looking at economic, if you can um, review it in a timely and efficient manner, having fair notice, having product and intended end use examination. Um, and then this developed out of this, the Unified Biotechnology web-based platform. So if you click on that link or, or when the slides come out, um, that is like a website that was built um, that gives you like a form that you can start to fill out. And when you do it, it gives you some ideas on whether or not a technology you have is going to be regulated or not. If it is, it doesn't do a great job of leading you through the process necessarily. And it won't tell you what agency you start with. You still have to kind of figure it out, but it does start to tell you like, are you going to be regulated? If so, who are the potential agencies? And even within each agency, what are the potential sections? So USDA, for example, APHIS focuses on some parts of regulation of certain technologies. In the EPA, there's a toxicology aspect that does different than what some of the other technologies do. Um, and then to review regulations and guidelines. And so finally, that brings me to another sort of area. So I was um, very fortunate to be able to join this past September um, in Washington, DC. So CIRSA, which is a center that's in cooperation with, I believe, the University of Louisiana and North Carolina State University. It's the Center of Excellence in Regulatory Science and Agriculture, hosted a workshop this past September that really wanted to start taking a look at, in particular, genome-edited microbial products for agricultural use. Um, this workshop took place right after the executive order um, was put in place. So they, there was an opportunity at this workshop to kind of think about the Biden administration's executive order and how it can relate particularly to genome-added microbial products for agriculture. And so um, this was an interesting opportunity and it gave an opportunity for you to have people from nonprofit organizations, regulators, there were representatives from the USDA, the EPA, the FDA in place, um, congressional staff members were there, along with industry and academia to really start to tackle some of these issues. How do you regulate genome edit microbes. We have, we have you know, a regulatory process in place to look at like plant technology and other technology, but when it comes to microbes, which you aren't necessarily eating, but they're going to be involved in a way that impact agriculture or crops or things that you can eat, do we regulate them differently? If we do, what does that process look like? And a lot of the 
the workshop dealt with either providing background on the first day and then the second day was really focused on getting people together in teams looking at these different case studies of different kinds of technology so whether or not you're changing just one nucleotide in you know a genome or if you're actually taking genes from one organism and placing it into another what would those different case scenarios look like when you're putting them through the current regulatory process and what are the limitations and challenges that really need to be addressed um, you know, a lot of what came out of this was really a desire from industry and even from others in the room to have a process that's predictable and that you can actually see what you're going to do, where it needs to go, figure out what, uh, where you start. One of the things you learned was, you know, depends on the technology, but if there is a, like a path, pathogen, a plant pathogen in place, you're going to start at the USDA, even if, you know, it may have nothing to do with agriculture, because as long as that plant pathogen is in place, the USDA needs to look at it. And there's been things that have changed throughout. So there used to be like a list at the USDA that listed all of the plant pathogens. And that was super helpful because people could look at it. That list has since disappeared. So a lot of the communication focused on how can we make this streamline and then also think about it in terms from a global perspective. Industry doesn't want to just have approval for products in the US. They want to be able to take those products and, you know, have them a, be able to use them elsewhere. And every country right now has a different process in place. Some of them will accept approvals from other places or streamline the process, many don't. Um, so ultimately what came out of this workshop, and this was one of a three-part series that will continue into next year, was this consensus statement that was developed by all of the workshop participants, which was to recognize that there is need for these kinds of products in place in light of climate change and increasing pest pressures, but that we need to have consumer acceptance, we need to balance the risk, but also make it predictable. And finally, and then we'll get to our discussion, um, I just wanted to highlight some of the aspects of the uh, executive order that we're here to discuss today and how it relates to cohort two. So as I mentioned, um, we're focused on bioengineered plants for carbon capture and sequestration. And in particular, there were aspects of this executive order that focused particularly on climate smart incentives and tasked the Secretary of Energy and the Secretary of Agriculture to provide products and support that addresses climate change, that mitigates the impacts of uh, carbon and greenhouse gas emissions, and that encourages climate smart production. So the work that we're doing can tie in, and maybe this is an opportunity for our cohort to sort of take into account what the executive order says and maybe pull that into our project. And with that, um, I'll hand it over to Nick. He's going to kind of go over how our discussion session is going to go. So I think there's 16 of us uh, in this room, if I count it correctly, but I'm pretty bad at math. Uh, so I'm thinking maybe, you know, three groups of five and one core. I'm sorry. Well, three groups of five. Nope. Mm -hmm. Two, Two groups, groups of five, five. <laughs> one group of six. Ooh, yeah. And then I think Patty will split uh, online for us. I think there's also, I don't know, 14 or so people probably on there. Um, so three rooms of four, sweet. Um, and then we kind of proposed a couple of discussion questions to talk about, uh, just, you know, what are the implications for the executive order for science policy and research? What parts need to be like explored and clarified? And then like, how does your work actually get impacted by the executive order? And then probably also a bigger picture, like how does it relate to GES and different things like that? But do you think we can form our own groups of five to six? Uh, maybe try to do a nice mixture of faculty and students uh, to, to get both perspectives.
Uh, so I'll do my best to quickly moderate like this discussion. I think there's four groups, so I don't think we'll need you know necessarily the full five minutes to, to report out. So if there's time after, we can just kind of have a general discussion. Uh, I'll probably volunteer my group uh, to go first. So Eric, if you want to just quickly talk about what we talked about. Yeah, so we started out by just talking about uh, how microbes, you know, uh, how people are thinking about how microbes should be regulated. And, you know, we got insight from Jabin about what other researchers are thinking about. Um, I think the consensus is it should be more streamlined and kind of apply to other countries as well. So, you know, people don't have to struggle to get their products out. Um, and then we talked about what tangible things could actually come out of this um, uh, executive order. Um, so, you know, I think there some people are skeptic of actually what could come out of this, whether um, it's just another executive order that doesn't have any uh, later effects. But one thing that we mentioned was that there needs to be more uh, transparency, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, products or things that are coming through the uh, through the pipeline need to have more transparency. What methods people are, are using to evaluate these things. We also talked about how there needs to be more uh, working together of the agencies to actually, you know, voice one opinion rather than having to go bounce between uh, agencies. Um, we also talked about, um, you know. The timing of this uh, executive order, if it's you know, if it's just a reactionary to the previous administration, or is this you know, actually just the right time to be putting this out here? Um, what else? Is there anything I forget? I think that's pretty good. Uh, maybe Amanda's group next. Yeah, sure. Um, so, a couple key things that we brought out. First, we talked about how. Um, U.S. independence is really woven into this uh, in a couple different ways throughout the executive order. And we talked about how, um, how this changes the narrative for both U.S. consumers, but also in, the, in relation to international trade and our relationships with other countries. Um, and really what U.S. independence for each of these different bioengineered products would mean and, and what those broader implications are. Um, Another thing we talked about is that we kind of agreed needed more clarification is again, defining what a genetically modified organism is, what we're focusing on. Um, I know this group has uh, considered a lot product versus process types of situations, but um, how is that interpreted through this executive order? And does that change based off of if it's um, on the application, does that change based on application? pretty much defining categories, what is in and what is out. And the third theme that we talked about kind of goes off of what you all said was talking about what transparency means and what the expectation is for that in each of these different silos. So is transparency for, you know, the businesses to know what the process is and what's included and what's edited. Um, but there are also comments about for international engagement, trying to include open sharing of data, and this can be for, um, you know, pathogens, which some of us are super interested in, or, you know, just more broadly for genetically modified organisms, just how, how is that data shared and what does transparency mean in this context? 
last group is on, Joe. Um, our group uh, started out our discussion with uh, considering how some of the implications for this on research funding. So I think it's section 3A5 uh, that talks about uh, the NSF, the director of the NSF, creating these reports. Um, and so how will those direct the emphasis and focus on funding calls for certain topics? What might that exclude or limit? Um, and how might that open up, you know, new arenas for just considering things like stakeholder engagement. Um, there was, we talked about that in the section for what needs to be further explored. Um, so how are the equity and social justice pieces going to actually play out? Um, so perhaps there's more room for that in the fact that they're mentioned in this executive order, uh, Zach said for the first time. So that's pretty interesting. Um, what is meant by the bioeconomy? There's a lot of emphasis on that. Um, and how might policy link research and the economy? Um, what does this mean for the economists and their workload for the next five to 10 years? Um, and then we didn't really get to the last question, uh, but I am writing a paper uh, on how a particular policy framework uh, might shed light on this flux that Nick, you talked about in regulation policy of biotechnology over the last 25 years. So that's just my personal piece. Um, that I would love to hear from others when we have time Sweet. on how it might actually inform individual work. Online too, I don't want to forget about that, but yeah, um, we had a great discussion and we were lucky enough to have Megan Palmer with us in our breakout room, who has a lot of insights into this. Um, so I'm going to pass it. We had Rodolph too and Lane and Carl. So we had a wide ranging discussion, but I'd like to pass it off to Megan because the students get to hear from Rodolph and me quite a bit. Um, and so Megan, will you comment on your thoughts about the executive order? Sure, I don't um and introduce yourself first. <laughs> sure. Um I'm, I'm Megan Palmer. I'm currently the executive director of biopolicy and leadership initiatives at Stanford um, University and an adjunct professor in our department of bioengineering. And I uh, have lived in Washington, DC for about uh, seven days now. Um <laughs> and thinking uh, a lot about uh, policy issues here. Um I am uh, actually speaking with some folks at um, the Office of Science, Technology, and Policy in about 11 minutes um, about uh, the executive order. Um, and so, and was at the summit um, where it was announced, uh, I guess, just over a month ago. Um, so, uh, uh, and I'm very jet lagged. I just got back from iGEM, so please apologize. <laughs> so please forgive me. Um, overall, my thoughts are like, there's a lot to like about the EO um, and you should think about it as being quite complementary um, to the CHIPS and Science um, Act uh, as a whole, um, insofar as there's a lot in the CHIPS and Science Act that will have um, uh, sort of enduring value in terms of coordination. It has a lot of ingredients um, in there in terms of 
the equity and inclusion elements that were included. Um, we had a, a really good discussion about some of the, um, the limitations of what's in the executive order, which I would interpret as being much more focused on the agencies coordinating um, amongst themselves and the importance of um, who is on the receiving end of all of these plans to have a plan to have a strategy. Um, and so uh, there, it, it's great to see so many agencies engaged. It's great to see so many metrics uh, or the, uh, an imperative around uh, accounting for what the bioeconomy is. Um, I worry that there's not going to be enough sort of vision and strategy about what the bioeconomy could be um, in, in the future. Um, and so just great to see this discussion. There's so much need <laughs> for thoughtful um, analysis and action and recommendations. Um, just a couple uh, ideas for after this on, on how you can become more engaged. I do think the uh, OSTP and others are very receptive uh, of recommendations at this stage. Um, and a couple groups that are helping to coordinate this, um, uh, the Engineering Biology Research Consortium um, uh, that I'm on the council of. I see there's a couple folks here um, who've also been members or on the council. They're doing some coordination around this, as well as the FA FAS. Um, they're, uh, they are doing a, a sort of policy white paper um, call as well that was just announced. So if you, if you don't see those, um, yet I'm happy to send uh, along along the links and uh, don't be afraid to just put in great ideas. They, they really need them. Um, is that enough, Jennifer? Was that good? <laughs> that was great. That was okay. fantastic. And if we have one more minute, I think Rodolph um, had some really um, important things that I'll just summarize in the interest of time. Yeah, thanks so much, Megan. That was fantastic. And we we would like to have that those resources and we'll look them up um, as well. And if we can't find it, we'll contact you, Megan. But um, Rodolph talked a lot about how industry is excited about this and um, that a lot of the global competition and pressure um, is really important. Those aspects are, are very important. And then Lane, who is from the Department of Energy and National Research Lab, talked about how she's wondering how the DOE is going to get involved. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of, I guess, when you get down to the national lab level, a lot of engagement of those people working on the bioeconomy. And then Carl talked about how, from his perspective, from Biofortified, he would like to see um, coordination, agency coordination, um, you know, improve for their products and their kind, their work that they're doing with Biofortified in his in his postdoc. So, um, if I missed anything, let me know. But those were all fantastic perspectives we had online. So. Great. Well, I mean, we have uh, seven more minutes. I was like, if there's any lingering comments for from individuals that that weren't covered, um, but if not, oh. I, I just want to make an announcement. I, I don't know if this got publicized already, but um, the Consortium for Science Policy and Outcomes, uh, just by coincidence, is facilitating a webinar this afternoon from three to four p.m. called "How Can the Chips and Science Act Deliver on Its Promises." Um, and there's three speakers, uh, each of whom contributed an article to issues in science and technology um, in the most recent issue. Uh, and those, those articles are available also. Um, issues in science and technology is kind of an STS public facing journal. Um, so those articles are called Competing with China. The second one is called Fostering Innovation to Strengthen US Competitiveness through the National Science Foundation. And the third is called More Industrial Policy. Um, so if this conversation your interest, that webinar and those articles might be really good resources to follow up with. 
if you just go to the um, issues.org, the um, Chips and Science Act is featured on their front page. I'm looking at it now. Okay. Uh, that, yeah, that event and then the, uh, the resources around it are, yeah, just go to issues.org and you will see everything you need there. Okay. Uh, if there's, there's no further comments, I was like, we, we can actually end colloquium five minutes early. Uh, but thank you guys for the great discussions and I'm sure we'll come back together and kind of see what our next steps. Oh, sorry, Jason. I'm sorry. It's, if, if you're interested in the webinar, you can go to cspo.org and on that first page under CSPO events is the webinar link. Okay, uh, and before we close, I, I do just want to reiterate that next week we're going to have Dr. Crystal Stashi from the Native Biodata Consortium and um, Presidential and she's also a presidential postdoc fellow at Arizona State University. She will be giving her seminar titled Genes in Society, Decolonizing Human Genetic Research. Uh, it's a workshop series. She's giving a talk on Monday with the um, Genetics and Genomics Academy. And then on Tuesday, she'll be in here uh, giving her talk to us. If you have the time available. It'd be really great if you could come to both. They will be different talks, so um, with a different focus each time. So uh, you could get something out of both talks if you have the time. If not, we would really love if people could come in person to support her because she will be in person in person on campus, and we'll have uh, lunch with the students following. So. Just to let everyone know about that, and um, yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you to Nick and Jabine for uh, facilitating this really good discussion on some important um, policy coming out. So, thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week.